coming up on Chopper's Politics. Here we are now, a complete U-turn. I do think there's been another example of a complete speech being withdrawn and retracted by a minister, certainly not in my 21 years as an MP. It, it, it is appalling. Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, Chopper to my friends, and here's your weekly edition of Chopper's Politics podcast. Well, the cost of living crisis, strikes, the war in Ukraine, the news is very familiar and depressing at the moment. But that's not all that happens here in Westminster. Other issues are bubbling all the time, and often they get crowded out by the serious and heavy news agenda. So this week we thought we'd try and find other things to talk about on Chopper's Politics podcast. So coming up, I'm with Rebecca Powell, the Environment Minister on plans to ban more plastics. And John Barron MP, who's doing his best to bring the plight of British Council contractors to light in Afghanistan. And for the Tory party, how do you make the party more democratic so it reflects more of what its members want, not its leaders? But first, the government is announcing plans this weekend to ban plastic cutlery, plates and polystyrene cups. It's latest attempt by ministers to crack down on the single-use plastics which despoil our environment. With me now is Rebecca Powell, a junior environment minister who's behind the policy. Rebecca Powell, welcome to the pub. Very delighted to be here. I've never actually been invited into the pub before and it's quite early in the day for me it's, to be in a pub. I've got you a strong coffee. That's going to keep me going. <laughs> When will this ban come into force then on plates and cutlery and plastic cups for coffee? So the ban will come into force on the 1st of October of this year, giving businesses plenty of time to prepare. And they're fully aware of it anyway. And indeed, the vast majority of them are very supportive of the scheme. And many of them are actually already doing these things already. Uh, They're fully aware that this is coming down the tracks and also equally aware that we do have to do something about it because of the sheer vast quantity of these products just for example plates 271 million plastic plates are used a year and cutlery used once and thrown away yes yeah they're single use single single use use. uh 2.7 billion items of plastic cutlery literally used once Mm. some people barely spread a bit of butter with them and that's the end of their life isn't it and another absolutely shocking statistic is that we use enough plastic single use cutlery in a year if you joined it end-to-end an average size length of knife, <laughs> yes. it would go around the world eight and a half times. Good. That's, thank you for that. <laughs> means kind of nothing, but clear. it sounds very big to me. <laughs> Will it increase the cost of a cup of coffee? That, no, I mean, well, that's, it, that's, that's obviously a really important question. So we have to do a lot of research on cost to the consumer because we don't want to cause people any more problems mm, than we've already buying. got with the challenges that we are facing. And so our estimates suggest that the cost to take away customers would be 10p per consumer annually. Annually? Yeah. So, therefore, really minimum impact on cost of living. And look at the bonuses and the benefits for the environment. And you could say, if you actually factored in the whole life of that piece of cutlery, where actually, indeed, the poor old taxpayer or the local council is actually, at the end of the day, paying for a lot of this clean-up stuff if it ends in landfill, you know, and if you had to factor in the cost of the emissions, the greenhouse emissions that that it emits, you know, it's a no-brainer, really, to start addressing these things. What else is next, then, after this ban? I mean... Is this the end of the of the various? We had stirrers. We what we've had... done, we've gone after the most frequently littered items, first of all. So that's how a lot of this has been um, directed, because everything we do has to be based on research, science, 
gathering of huge amounts of data, working with all sorts of stakeholders. And I'll just give an example because you'll know that we previously banned the um, straws, stirrers and cotton buds. And again, shockingly, that was in the top 10 items that rocked up on beaches. Mm. So as a result of our ban, the organisation that does a lot of the checking of this has come back with data saying that barely figures now. Mm. You did ask about some of the other things we might be going after. So when we did our consultation, we also did what's called a call for evidence on some other things that are in our sites. Yes, what are they? So wet wipes, those sachets that um, are used for small amounts of like sugar and salt and pepper and things like that. And cups. So we've got we've got lots of other things on our radar. We're going to deal with this chunk of things first because you've got all the data, the evidence, and, it, and it's very clear what we should do. So with this this group of products that we've talked about yes. will be by October, and then um, wet wipes after wet that. Wipes. But but I can uh, I can reveal to you exclusively okay. that. Um, Amongst those other things, plastic coated coffee cups will definitely be the next one in our sites to, to properly tackle. Plastic coated coffee cups. But, but we have to have all the right research, all the right um, evidence and data. And we've already got a take back system announced for coffee cups, which will kick in in 2024. And yeah. that comes under what I call the extended producer responsibility scheme. And what that will do is put the onus on the company putting the product on the market, say it's a chocolate uh, milkshake powder yeah. in a plastic container, well, that company will have to think about where that container is going to end up and can it be recycled? Mm-hmm. Could it be refilled? How much of a proportion of recycled material is in it? And it will really focus the minds the onus on this because yeah. they'll have to cost it in. They'll yeah, be yeah. responsible for the cost, basically, where it ends up, because we don't want yep. it to end up in landfill. And that's the way we're going to get towards reducing all of our waste. So packaging is coming first because that's the biggest littered item. All yeah. of these containers, things that are really classed as packaging. So that's the big area we're tackling first. And a lot of cups and, and so forth come under that too. So that's going to be really significant towards tackling our waste. W- w- when might wet wipes be banned, for example? If you were sitting here in a pub talking to me, no one listening. What, what's the, <laughs> your huge audience <coughs> what's is listening. The, what's, the, uh, what's, the, what's your date when that might go? Well, wet wipes is a really serious issue for many reasons, mm. uh, as you will know. Uh, they pile up so, in rivers, don't they? Down, yeah, they so, down um, the, the rivers. They are a major cause of blockages of sewers. Mm. Uh, it has come to light. And, and then the fat, the disgusting fat, coagulates around them and causes a blockage. And actually, we could reduce a whole lot of use of these storm sewage overflows if we could clear these blockages, which potentially could mean making everybody very aware of what not to chuck down the loo. So I met with the head of Southwest Water, which is one of our poorest water companies, one star only. Uh, but they had done an interesting piece of research with their hospitality industry, which is huge in the Southwest. And they checked with Airbnbs, hotels, guest houses and all the rest of it. And only 10% of them had a bin in their bathroom. And one of the biggest causes of the storm sewage overflows in that region because they're doing research on that too, is the sewage blockages caused by wet wipes. So bins in bathrooms. I mean, so there is a campaign called Bin It. So there's lots of work going on, lots of research, also lots of research that we're doing on labelling. You know, should we have better labelling? Would that make you, Chris, would you read the label when you picked up a pack of wet wipes? And if it said, don't chuck this down the loo, would you 
adhere to it. Yeah, well, I'm aware of it because I know there's piles of it along the banks of the Thames, aren't there? It's the water. absolutely revolting. So, and they also they contain a lot of them, not okay. all of them, micro uh, microplastics, yeah. plastics. So, but work is still underway on that because we have to be super yeah. sure about why we're banning them. You know, people are perfectly entitled to do, use wet wipes, mm. but just don't don't chuck them down the loo. Yeah, quite right. There's there's concern about disposable single use vapes. Yes. You heard that? Is that worrying you? Yes. Well, had you been in the chamber this morning where I had just run from, there was a question asked about that because I did a debate on that in Westminster Hall the other day. Yes. And again, this this just shows how our society changes, doesn't it, so fast. So vapes are obviously... Even the Department of Health consider them a very useful tool because they are transitioning people from smoking. So... Vapes on the whole are are having some positive results, but it it again has come to light that billions of them are now waste. They're being chucked on the ground, not safely disposed or properly disposed of, and actually they contain really important critical raw materials, which we need to recycle. So would you want to ban those? So uh, they're all things that need to be looked at, but equally those vapes in the future should come under the extended producer responsibility scheme because the people putting them on the market should be thinking about where they're ending up. Yes. So, So I think what it highlights is this huge big picture that this government has really motoring with, and it's taking a lot of time because you can see even from my talking how complicated it's, it is. It's complicated. But uh, they are all linking together to reduce waste. One thing I do understand waste. is this deposit return scheme, yes. which is we see on the continent, don't we, in other countries, when you, you have a, a glass bottle of lemonade or something and you get 10p back if you return it. Yes. That's been on, on the stocks for about, well, certainly since Michael Gove was the Environment Secretary, and that was many years ago now. Yes. Why has that been stuck in the long grass? Well, it's motoring again. And I'm delighted to share with you that by the end of this month, which isn't very far away, we will be publishing the consultation, the very detailed consultation we did on it. Uh, which will set um, the direction of, of, of what's going what to happen. And what do you hope then? I mean, just so, without saying too much so, now. Well, um, you, uh, we've you... already announced, people are already aware that it will be for cans and plastic, right. not glass. Right. So, and and the, the main aim of it is A, to reduce waste uh, and littering. But what we need to get out of it in particular is really good quality material that can be recycled. So you'll be able to go to a supermarket, will you, and push your plastic bottle into a hole and get 10p back? The idea is that you will have, they're called reverse vending machines. Right. RVMs, as our team like to call them. Okay. And they will be put into retail outlets across the board, all over the place, basically. And Paid um, for by the the companies themselves? uh, That's right, yes. And also there will be an organisation set up, a management organisation, which will run the whole scheme. And that once that is up and running, we'll know all the details about costs, what you'll get back for what. And we also think if people don't want to bother to return them, there'll be real scope for other people to collect them up, like they used to be back in yeah. the very old days. There's money in litter. bottles. Well, there's money in, um, money in ditches. You know, so money in, charities money in... will be able to benefit from that. We know that. So it's a, it's a, this is happening very fast. You're rewarding litter pickers. I mean, it's It's good. happening very fast. And it will also help to get the the quality of material delivered in the right place for the companies to remake their cans and plastic bottles. I do think it's a really good... Using the recycled material. I think it's a good idea for about six years now. I know, I know. But the point is, like all of 
of these things, they're not straightforward and you don't no. want to rush it. No. You don't want to rush so it. So when might this happen? Get it right. Well, what do you hope? Um, well, wait till the end of the month and you'll get all the details when we publish our consultation. But in a few months or a few years? Um, well, we've got to get the, the administrator, the, the management okay. organisation to administrate in year? first. Potentially, we've got dates there for, for it to come on stream within the next couple of years. But it's you see, a long way, okay, no, it? it's not a long way because we have to get the extended responsibility scheme up and running first. And already large companies are starting right now to collect the data about how much packaging they use and all of that, because it's all going to inform all these other systems. It's really complicated. I know. But stepping right back, you're a Tory minister. Do you feel comfortable about banning things? Well, this that's is not a very what good the Tories question. do normally. It's a very, very good question. I've asked the same question to myself. But the point is, we have tried, for example, the carrier bags is a very good example. Mm. We tried that voluntarily, didn't we? And it only worked for about 20% of people. I was one of those sad people that's always carried a Somerset wicker basket yes, around with me, yes. as you know. Yes. Uh, and even my husband used to go, you know, to M&S and come back with one pair of socks and a carrier bag and I'd scream. <laughs> uh, and it was the fight, honestly, it was the charge. But you've won that fight that now, haven't you? That made the game-changing difference. Yeah. So that, so that was why a ban had so to be ban, So Tories banning things is OK in some circumstances? I, I think it's just all got to be summed up as to, is this an overall benefit to society? Yeah. And if it really genuinely is, and yeah. actually it could yeah. even save society money, then it has to be looked at. But on the whole, yeah, you don't want to be doing it all the time. Another big issue that you're involved with, it, which, which does get our readers uh, going at the Telegraph, is sewage. Now, I'm opening my copy of the Telegraph on Thursday here. It says here that Thames Water spilled sewage in every county it covers over the past three days in a potential breach of legal limits. What are you going to do about Thames Water and its sewage? Are you aware of this for start? Yes, very aware of it. I keep in good touch uh, with all the water companies. In fact, um, the Secretary of State and I had the five poorest water companies in just two weeks ago round our table to just literally find out what on earth is it. We've got data now on all the different areas that, they're, that they perform on, whether it is sewage outlets whether, and number of pollution incidents, how long do they run for, how often are they happening, but also whether they've got issues on water demand, water supply, leakage, bursts and all of that. So we can chart everything that we're doing. And it's really partly it's heavy, because of the a, increased monitoring yeah. uh, that you are now knowing what Thames and they're Water disclosing it, are doing. Which is something. They have held their hands up. It's this government that has got the monitoring going. So uh, interestingly, under the Labour government, who keep attacking us about these overflows, and yet they're completely unacceptable. No one thinks they are. But they didn't put in a single monitor. They didn't require a single monitor. No, but we started the monitors going in in 2016, and that now we've got 90% of storm sewage overflows monitored. It'll be 100% by next year. So we will have the clearest picture ever of what's going on. And even on the back of what we know now, we launched this, the EA and Ofwat launched this huge investigation into these incidents and as a result of that we'll have even more evidence and they will be taken to court so there's, so there's the, data there that, that's yeah, a baseline yeah what do you, are you going to start increasing fines well uh, so of course we've, we've also got um 
EAE does enforcement and we gave them more money in the last round to up their enforcement and to do more inspections. So that will help. Off what itself, the regulator, can fine a water company 10% of turnover mm. if it's found to be contravening wish what it, it should wish be doing. It would sometimes. Yes, but so, the, and, and, the, and even the regulator, we've given them much stronger policy statement, which was that they had to put the environment at the top of the agenda. It's all going to be more transparent. I think that will be helpful. There will then be, a, 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 they will have to report annually on spillages, but also eventually some, uh, we've already getting going uh, real time data com- mm. coming forward. So, so much has been done in this space and we've actually launched the biggest plan to tackle these storm sewage overflows in history so we're really on the case with targets do you as worry well. about the money they're making because um, they, they say they, they, they need more money they need to invest in the rest of it but they are making lots of money themselves well, well what you've got to remember is they're private companies and on the whole they've delivered good plenteous clean water since privatisation and indeed a lot of investment in the environment and that is carrying on. But we still need our water companies to be well-functioning businesses. Mm. Uh, So we've got to get all these things right and they've got to deliver well for the customer. How many EU laws will you be acting this year? Yes, you're referring to our E, our rule bill, as we yes, call it. So, R-E-U-L. Uh, R-E-U-L. And obviously under DEFRA, there are a great many um, laws 572, and is that right? People can give me slightly changed numbers, but um, we're looking at all of them. Uh, How many and, uh, Yeah, there's over 500. 527 was counted at one time, but others are coming to light. But actually, some of them are very, very detailed things that we don't need anymore quite a lot of those in the um the waste space and the electrics and the recycling because we're already doing our own or we've updated what we're doing so i think it's actually really sensible that we are looking at them all we are going to have a whole program of ones essential to keep because of course they're they're doing great job ones that might need reforming to better suit us here if you won't you won't act any which might damage the environment will Uh, we 100% will not be acting any that will damage the environment because I would never be able to be the environment minister if that happens you know protecting the environment is our top priority in DEFRA one of our top priorities obviously along with um, food secure food production and many other things but um, no we we still have to uh, have those gold standards for protecting the environment and that, that's what we're going to do. We, we've got an opportunity, actually, to, to, to make it more, even more fit for purpose for us. Because do we, need, do we need to have those regulations where we have our say on the supply of olives? That's one of them. Is it do we need that? <laughs> no. No, we don't need it. that in England, you know, no. and in the UK. So, you know, there are a whole lot of regulations completely irrelevant to us. So those are the ones we don't need. But I want to be absolutely clear environmental protection is, is the a top priority and and just this getting our our regulations directors and so forth absolutely fit for purpose for us and of course adhering to our international treaties are you embarrassed about, anyway. about the the state of the waters around the country i mean you, you see all the coverage i'm angry about it angry yeah. uh, and disappointed but pleased that i at least am in a position now that i'm completely aware of all this we can do something about it and we are There is also a good story to tell in this country uh, because we have, I think it's classed as the best quality water coming out of our taps anywhere in Europe. We also have, for example, in the latest data that we received, 72% of our bathing waters are classed as excellent. But a quarter aren't. 
uh, no, but a huge proportion of yes. them are good. Yes. Okay. Uh, overall, our bathing water is yes. in, in a great condition. You know, there's just the odd one for the odd reason, which we which we then do something about. So we must we we have done a great deal of good let's on not, water. Not, not disregard so that. let's okay. not disregard that. But okay. or, but equally, yes, I am really angry when I hear about pollution that doesn't need to be there. Mm. And but I'm also pleased that at least as the environment minister I've got the opportunity to do something about it with my team and the rest of the Conservatives. We are the greenest government ever. This is Rebecca Powell. Thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics Podcast in the Red Lion Pub. Well thank you very much. It's been a lovely experience. Thank you. Now coming up, the legacy of Britain's involvement in Afghanistan still carries on with 200 British Council contractors on the run right now from the Taliban regime. More on that after the break. Nigel Farage. This is the most commonest thing done by any government in my lifetime in this country. Lionel Shriver. Which is worse, Biden's not being in control and Biden being in control. (laughs) Charles Moore. I think if people in general feel that their traditions, culture, history, values, etc. are under assault, they are basically right. My name is Stephen Edgington, and if you're enjoying this podcast, you might like Off Script, a new series from The Telegraph. Provocative conversations with provocative individuals. Each episode, I sit down with a world-leading commentator to unpick the ongoing culture wars. Unfiltered, unscripted, and full of free speech. Be sure to listen to Offscript in the same place you're listening to this and make sure to follow so you don't miss an episode. Now, since August 2021, 200 British Council contractors, often professors, academics, have been living in fear of their lives in Afghanistan, moving from house to house as they are hunted by the Taliban. The government, so far, has done nothing. And John Barron MP, a senior Tory, is concerned. John Barron MP, welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast. Thanks, Chopper. Great to have you on. (laughs) It's great to be here. What are contractors, and particularly British Council contractors? They're people who weren't directly employed by the British Council but were contracted to the British Council to try to promote the work that they did, whether it's be yeah. teaching in classrooms or campaigns involving women's rights. So the employees got out of Afghanistan, but the contractors were left behind as part of Operation Pitting when Kabul fell in August last year. And we think that we have interpreters. That was that's a familiar okay. idea. Contractors supported the British work in Afghanistan. Yes, they did. Uh, they, they, and not just British work. They, they were supporting the Western effort generally and were very brave people in putting their face above the parapet, if you like, because they would be known in their local communities, but said, look, we believe this is the right thing to do, whether, as I say, it was teaching English or promoting women's rights or democratic values generally. And what's happened to them now? That There's 200 or so, we think, in Afghanistan. What are they doing now? Well, they've been left stranded, frankly. Um, the government introduced a scheme after pressure from the British Council all-party group, introduced which a scheme, chair. Uh, which I chair, right at the beginning of 2022, January. So it's been a year since this scheme has been introduced. Uh, I won't go into any technical details. It's called the Afghan Citizen Resettlement Scheme, the ACRS. But not one contractor has been relocated out of Afghanistan. And many of these contractors are in fear of their lives, moving from safe house to safe house as they are being actively hunted by the Taliban 
And I, I find it almost a disgrace that it's taken a year for this scheme to be in operation, and yet not one contractor has been relocated anywhere, let alone back to this country. There was a story of one professor who couldn't take his daughter to the hospital because the Taliban had ring-fenced the hospital, they were ticking everybody off, etc. The daughter eventually died. Now, I can't substantiate that, but that is a story that's come out of Afghanistan because, as you can imagine, I and many others are being emailed by these contractors directly. We're passing these emails on to the Foreign Office, to the British Council. Um, so academics with families? Yes, academics with families. Are they the engineers? Are they? Pro- there could be engineers. I think it's more the academia, I think it's more the teaching of English, I think it's more the sort of charitable effort to promote everything from equal rights, women's rights, and, and dare I say, Western values generally. And, and whatever one thinks of the mission in Afghanistan, I, for one, opposed the morphing of the mission into one of nation-building once we got rid of al-Qaeda in 2001. Whatever one's position on that, we owe these people a debt of honour, and we're not meeting that debt at the moment. And the Taliban are trying to find them? Taliban are trying to find them. them. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because of their links to Correct. the British Council. Correct. And you see, in small villages in particular, even in Kabul, you, these people are known. A professor is known. And they're having many, I can't say all of them, but I know that a good number are trying to move from safe house to safe house as they are being actively hunted. The remarks by Prince Harry in his new book, Spare, haven't helped. No, I don't think they've helped. Which the, the, he said that he killed 25 Taliban during his service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think they would have helped the cause at all. As an ex-soldier myself, who have been on a number of operational tours, including Northern Ireland in the 80s, you know, you just don't talk about these things. It's as simple as that. You just don't talk about them for a whole host of reasons, which I won't go into. But the bottom line is it hasn't helped. I'll be honest with you, Chopper, as I always am. What hasn't helped is a government bureaucracy, which, you know, in great fanfare, this this ACRS scheme was introduced in, in January of 2022, and simply nothing has happened. You've raised it in the House of Commons this week, haven't you? I have. So we, there's a cohort of 200 contractors. Yes. Where are we with them at the moment? Well... We had a what's called a Westminster Hall debate yesterday, and we had the minister there, and I really pressed the minister. And up to Christmas, there'd been no movement at all. We really put the heat and pressure on just before Christmas. This is the, all, the British Council or party group. And he was able to come back and report a modicum of progress. That modicum of progress is that half of these contractors have now been told, head to the border. They've also been told to make sure their paperwork's in order. And one of the points I made in the debate yesterday was, well, hold on a minute. These people have been moving from safe house to safe house. They can't actually apply to the Taliban for a passport if they haven't got them. There may be newborn kids as well. Now, come on, let's get our act together. Let's get them out of the country. And as long as they're on a designated list, and I appreciate security checks have to be made, but as long as they're on that designated list, let's get them out and sort the paperwork out afterwards. So that's one of the points raised yesterday in the debate. I got assurances on that front. So half are heading towards the border, I hope. That's the land border. That's the land border, wherever that border may be, probably with Pakistan, and we'll see what happens. Don't forget, these these 200 have been deemed, and something I forgot to mention, my apologies, have been deemed to be at very high risk or high risk by the by, foreign by the foreign office right. and the British Council together. This, the, these aren't categories, these aren't people made up. That's not made disputed, up. Then, the risk. That's not disputed about the risk. It's the fact that we've had a bureaucratic 
hogwash. So a hundred are told to go to the border with their, de- with their dependents. With their dependents, if they can make it and take what paperwork you can. But I've made it clear a lack of paperwork should not hinder them getting out. And the balance, the other hundred? The other hundred who, up to Christmas, still had not been contacted at all. I am told that around half have now been contacted and their applications are about to be processed. But Lord knows, between you and me, what that means. If 2022 is anything to go by, we could be talking about this again in a year's time. And the purpose of the debate yesterday was to say, now, come on, we need urgency here. Time to pull your finger out. Is the problem here they're being bogged down in red tape with concern about migration numbers to this country because 200 people can have lots of dependents? Is that slowing it down at any point? I hope not. I suspect it might be doing, but I hope not. There has been talk a little bit when when raising these issues in the normal channels behind our chamber, so to speak. Quotas has been occasionally mentioned, and I raised this issue in the debate. I sincerely hope it's not, because there was no talk about quotas when we wanted volunteers. There's been no talk about quotas when we've talked about their courage. There's been no quota on their courage in stepping forth and promoting Western values in this mission, and as I say, whatever one thinks of the mission. But the bottom line is, it has come up, and I just find it distasteful. And one of my messages to the minister yesterday is, don't talk about quotas. If there's 200 contractors and families that we owe a debt of honour to, we pay that debt regardless. The, the minister last night, yesterday, talked about a second iteration of the ACRS starting in June. These people can't wait till June. That means, what, what does that well, mean? It means that, in English, it means that perhaps... If we've exceeded our quota for this iteration, a second iteration in June can... can that is not good enough. No, these are lives we're talking about. These are lives we're talking about. They're human beings who've stepped up to the plate. We owe them that debt. We'll be on it as the British Council. APGP. Well, John Brown, we'll keep across this and we'll, we'll try and maintain some, some interest here with the podcast to tell our, our listeners what happens. While you're here, I just want to ask you about you and how you're doing. You're, for me, a classic... Uh, independently-minded Conservative MP, your activity on Brexit before it all got going, got it all going. I mean, you you, you were the one who tabled a motion of regret in, in the May 2013 Queen's speech, which led to the support of 100 MPs. You're one of these people who started Brexit happening. Well, it's kind of you to say it was it was it was a teamwork. But but I think that amendment to the Queen's speech, which hadn't been done since 1947, was a key moment. There were others, but uh, together with letters to the Prime Minister at the time of a hundred letters, a couple of letters of a hundred signatures each, revealed the strength of feeling. And our objective was to get a referendum in the Conservative Manifesto for 2015. Which happened. Yes. And then the history book show there was a vote in 2016 and now we're out. Do you regret leaving the European Union? No, not at all. I, I think quite the opposite. I think the best is yet to come. I think everything from free trade deals, which we're actually increasingly doing well at, and the big one in the Pacific, the CPTPP, is going to be transformational, uh, and all the signs are very good. Scotch whisky duty, for example, in the Pacific region will fall from around 100% to zero. Great growth potential there. I think uh, the litmus test of how well an economy is doing is unemployment. We've still got very, very low unemployment. We're still attracting wood investment. And most importantly, it was the democratic sovereign 
issue. We are now in control of our destiny. We will make mistakes. And that's the point of Brexit. It's a it sovereignty is. issue. It's a sovereignty issue. Controlling that sovereignty. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we will make mistakes. Every country does. But we are now looking at regulations and amendments. And I can bore you ad infinitum, Chopper, about, you know, where we're seeing this already, whether it's finance or anything else. It bodes well for the future. All of us in Parliament, certainly those who supported it, are very, very optimistic. But in a way, it's a debate that's behind us now. Mm. I think there's a general consensus in, in Parliament, certainly on our benches, that let's get on with it. Let's make them a Finally, you, were, you, you told you, you were on TV last year saying you were taking soundings up. Would you stand for leader you chose not to but you got some support on the back benches yes i did but you know you know when people come knock on your door and it was genuine that you know you know why don't you you you, you think about it but the rules were changed at the last minute they went from 10 to or whatever it was eight yeah, to the 20 minimum, number of support minimum level of support so you, you know when you're beaten and i couldn't muster that support but i think rishi is doing a great job you're i think with him i'm don't want boris back i know no no I, I think boris had his time I think Rishi has three qualities which I very much admire. He has compassion, he's competent, but he's also a very decent, honourable man. Uh, we saw the compassion with the, you know, all the benefits being uprated with inflation and, and pensions and so forth. We saw the competence during the lockdown, what he did as Chancellor. And I can assure you, I can bore you, you know, with, with various stories as to why he is a very decent, honourable man who wants to do the good thing for people, particularly at the, you know, vulnerable people, but also for the country as a whole. Well, look, John Barron, MP for Basildon and Billericay, thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that was Thursday, but overnight there's been some developments. Uh, John Barron, I'm calling you back. How are you? Well, I'm very well, but I'm appalled at these recent developments. What's happened? Well, the government has late last night um, informed me that they're going to retract everything they said in that Westminster Hall debate we were discussing. So all those positive bits of news have been retracted. In other words, 100 contractors, half the contractors cannot head straight to the border. Paperwork is going to be required. So, you know, if they haven't got good paperwork, then that will be a hindrance. The other half still haven't been contacted at all. And meanwhile, quotas has been reintroduced. But by quotas, you mean family members. I mean, this is no. ridiculous, right? I mean, this is a... Absolute it, For me, it is shambolic. Yeah. Yes, it is. And, and we've got to think about the families and the contractors involved. The events here are being closely followed in Afghanistan. They've had their hopes raised on a Wednesday afternoon when they saw the debate. Last night... Thursday evening, I get told by a journalist, not even the decency of the government informing me, that they're retracting. Took this afternoon to get any confirmation from the government. And here we are now, a complete U-turn. I don't think there's been another example of a complete speech being withdrawn and retracted by a minister, certainly not in my 21 years as an MP. And there'll be news next week, won't there? The government will will have to correct the record in Parliament it's embarrassing and it almost is totemic, really, of these way these tr- contractors have been treated. It is. Uh, you're absolutely right, Chris. It, it, it is appalling. I can't be any stronger than that. And we're going to come back to that over the following weeks. But, John, for now, John Barron, thank you for coming back to us this week on Chopper's Politics Podcast. Thank you. Take care. John Barron there. Now, we're three months into the leadership of Rishi Sunak. And it may have been forgotten, but he wasn't actually elected by anybody before he became Prime Minister. He was appointed there by MPs. Some Tory party members are less than happy. One of them is John Strafford, who has joined a big campaign to bring more democracy into the Tory party. 
John Strafford, welcome to Chopper's Politics. We're calling you from the Red Lion pub and you're in Beaconsfield. Yes, indeed I am and uh, I've just had breakfast. <laughs> well, I'd be giving you a, a coffee if you were here now. Now, John, just quickly, why does the Tory party need more democracy? Well, because it's in a terrible situation and uh, it's incapable, as present constituted, in fighting a national campaign on the ground during the uh, general election. If you go back to 2016, Lord Feldman reported half the constituency associations have got less than 100 members. Well, you need a 1,000 members, really, to fight a campaign on the ground. So that's number one. We haven't got the members. And unfortunately, we've had 26 party chairmen in the last 30 years, all of which say that the membership's gone up. In fact, in those 30 years, the membership's gone down from half a million down to about 150,000 today, and it's falling. So primarily, we have got to get our campaigning organisation into shape. And the only way we can do it is by giving members incentives to join the party. Is that decline, John, driven by a lack of consultation with members about how the party is run? Yes. Uh, prior to 1998, the constituency associations were pretty well autonomous in choosing their candidates. And uh, central office role was purely advisory. Uh, since that time, the central office have become totally centralised and they uh, taken away all the rights of party members to choose their, select their MP or to get rid of their MP. And the result is, is that we've got a lot of Lib Dem type uh, uh, MPs in Parliament since David Cameron took over. And the Parliamentary Party has become totally separate and different uh, in its views on policy from the Voluntary Party. You say that these Liberal Democrat type candidates, you mean that they, they don't reflect what the, what the membership want to hear from their, from their candidates? They certainly don't, and, and they don't reflect Conservative values and policies. I mean, the, the traditional Conservative who reads the Daily Telegraph believes in a small state, low tax, strong on defence, strong on law and order, believes in the family, is not uh, in favour of all this wokeism that we get now from the BBC. <laughs> you find that their views are not being reflected uh, uh, in, in Parliament. And how can you, how can you um, make your campaign work? You're backing a new constitution for the Tory party, aren't you? And what's your campaign called, John? It's called the Conservative Democratic Organisation. And it's... Uh, was launched last month uh, and is making great progress. And what we're doing, we're working with the Conservative Party. This is not a, uh, a group of opposing the party. We're trying to work with the party to improve it and develop it. And uh, it's had a great success so far. And what we're trying to do is get the party to a similar situation it was before the new 1998 constitution was brought in. And that means we've got to go for a democratic Conservative Party. That means that people at the top are accountable to the membership. Okay, so so what else would change? There'd be an elected chairman by the members. Would would members get to vote on policies, for example? That can't happen at the moment. Well, what we will reintroduce, because we want the voluntary party to take back control of the party conference, uh, as it used to be before 1998. And there would then be motions for debate. Those motions will be submitted by the constituency associations uh, and 
photo will be taken on the motions. Yes, and John, in any sense, is what you're doing here a Boris Johnson vehicle? We know that one of the organisers of, of your campaign, Lord Crudus, managed to amass as many as 10,000 members last year to try and give members a vote on the removal of Boris Johnson by the MPs. Is that what is going on? Is it an attempt to try and force no, out... Force no, it's that? definitely not. Uh, what we believe, though, is that the leader of the party, if he continues to be elected by the members, then the rules on the leadership election should be determined by party members. At the moment, those rules are determined by the 1922 committee, and the members have no say whatsoever in these rules. So, for example, in the last uh, leadership election, the 22 committee decided that there had to be 100 nominations for the leadership election. Well, the normal rules, somebody wanted to be a candidate, they just had to be proposed and seconded. So who was it who decided that there had to be 100 nominations? Was it the chairman of the 22 committee? Was it the 22 committee executive? Was it the party board? Was it the party chairman? Was it the parliamentary party? Nobody no, knows because no. uh, nobody knows uh, who was taking these decisions. We want those now taken away from the uh, 2022 committee and put it to the main body of the party constitution so that the members can have a say on them. Uh, these changes that we're asking for are critical for the uh, Conservative Party. Otherwise, I'm afraid it's going to cease to exist as a, as a political party. It is in a worse state now than it has ever been. Well, John Strafford, with a message there from Beaconsfield about why the Tory party needs to be more democratic. Thank you for joining us today on Chopper's Politics Podcast. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. Well, that's all for this week, listeners. I'd love to get your thoughts on what our guests had to say today. Do you agree that the Tory party needs to be more democratic? And should disposable vapes be banned? Get in touch by email, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or on Twitter, we're at Chopper's Podcast. Thank you again to my guests this week, Rebecca Powell, John Barron, and of course, John Strafford. Thank you to my producers, Louisa Wells and Giles Gear. But most importantly of all, thank you to you for listening. For more Westminster Insights delivered every weekday into your email inbox, why not sign up to my Chopper's Politics newsletter? The link for that will be in the show notes to this episode, as will the link to my Peterborough Diary column out every Friday evening at 7pm online and in Saturday's newspaper. And remember, please do buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph. I know you won't regret it. Until next time, though, from the Redline Pub, cheerio! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.